Hello and welcome back to All Things Urticaria, your favorite podcast, I'm sure. Well, favorite if you are into urticaria. That's what we are. We are urticariologists. We work at UCARES and we do this podcast for you. My name is Marcus, Marcus Mauro. I'm here at the UCARE, Urticaria Center of Reference and Excellence in Berlin, Charité. And today I have with me, and I'm super happy about this, Aurélie. Aurélie, how are you? I'm fine, thank you, Marcus. I'm very happy to be here with you too. Oh, it, it, uh, I have so many questions for you, but let's start with um, Aurélie. Where are you? Uh, what do you do? Um, what's your favorite urticaria? Uh, where am I? I? I am in Montpellier, which is a quite small town in uh, southern France. Maybe you know already. And uh, I'm a dermatologist and an urticariologist, as you just said. Yeah. And uh, I work in um, University Hospital of Montpellier mm -hmm. uh, in the dermatology department. And we especially take care of patients with chronic urticaria. And uh, I really, really like to take care of patients with chronic inducible urticaria, particularly. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's true. Very good, very good. Um, in, in Germany, we don't have... Uh, I think what happens in France where it's dermatologists or allergists who see patients with urticaria because most of the German dermatologists are allergists and most of the German allergists are dermatologists. Um, you are at a derm department, you're a dermatologist. And do you think that the dermatologists in France who see patients with chronic urticaria, that they are more likely to see patients with chronic inducible urticaria as compared to your allergy um, uh, colleagues? Uh, it's a very difficult question in France uh, right now, Marcus, because, you know, we lack uh, dermatologists. And um, most of all, many, many dermatologists don't um, really take care of anything else uh, uh, but cancers, mm. skin cancers. So it's very difficult for uh, any patient with chronic urticaria to be seen by a dermatologist. So mm -hmm. most of the times they are they are seen by their general physician and then sometimes uh, by allergologist, allergists, and then they come just right to us yeah. in the hospital. We, we see many more uh, chronic urticaria patients than we should probably. Mm. Okay, well, I think we have the same problem here in Germany, where it would be great if more uh, general family physicians uh, were interested in treating this disease. But maybe that's a different question. Um, I'm always impressed about uh, the French spirit, I want to call it, uh, also the French community. You have a urticariologist community committee. Uh, you work together, and uh, I like that a lot. And I know that uh, you had previously done excellent work in cold urticaria, which happens to be also one of my favorite uh, chronic inducible urticaria. Oh, really? <laughs> but, but how do you end up with cold urticaria as the focus or one of the one of the topics that you're focused on in such a warm Mediterranean city <laughs> like Montpellier? I knew you would ask this because, <laughs> yes, basically each and every chronic inducible urticaria is interesting to me. Of course, because I find them fascinating, actually. But as you just said, I live by the Mediterranean Sea. We have a warm climate, I can say that. 
And that's why, because, you know, here people go swimming from, I don't know, May uh, until October sometimes. Mm -hmm. So that's probably why we see so many patients because uh, you you previously uh, said that, but um, the immersion of the body in water, even if it's not that cold, uh, that's why we have probably um, many, many patients uh, that they, they come to see us after, uh, go, after going swimming. So the problem is the the anaphylaxis because yeah. the um, cold urticaria, I think it's um, it's hard to make um, a, a proper diagnosis. People um, don't know what happened to them. They think that they have been stung by jellyfishes or, or they have uh, any allergy to anything they have just eaten on the beach and all that. So they, it takes them a long time to come to us and to have a proper diagnosis. Yeah. Yeah, I see. I see the same thing, uh, where many of my cold duty carrier patients say, uh, a lot of my physicians and actually no one knows what this is, yeah. and I, I sort of felt like I was the only person on this planet who has this, um, and it's not that rare, no. And and what you say makes a lot of sense, and I think we, um, ever since the cold CE project that was done yeah. in the UCare network. Uh, led by Moitza and Dora, and, and really a wonderful collaboration that looked at hundreds of cold urticaria patients. I think since uh, we know about the results from this project, it is on a lot of people's mind. No, I, what was it? One third of patients with yeah. cold urticaria, up to thirty-eight percent, and it's it's quite maybe it's even less than what we thought here in France because yeah. here we had um, an online survey and uh, up to. 45% of us, but we are experts, of course, but 45% yeah. yeah. of we have already had at least one patient who had a malaise or dizziness or hypotension during an episode of cold urticaria. But maybe this is related to the fact that we are experts and that we have patients who who go swimming, you know? Yeah. So that, that is the biggest problem, no? Yeah. You know, it's 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 in every review. It's in all the papers, in all the book chapters. Aquatic activities, no swimming, um, windsurfing, sailing, where th those are the 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 risk situations. And uh, if people understand that the temperature threshold, no, that's the the warmest temperature that is cold enough to make people have wheels. That this temperature in most cold to carrier patients is around 20 degrees Celsius. Yes, oh, which is yeah. not cold, right? It's not cold, exactly. That's why no. it's so fascinating to call this disease it, it, cold urticaria. And sometimes yes. the temperature threshold is over 25 degrees. So yeah. it's um, it's probably a matter of differential uh, temperature between the, um, the atmosphere and uh, the fact that you go just right into the water directly. So right. probably there are many undiagnosed uh, cold duty carrier to me, but I, I agree. Hey, I, mean, I saw a patient just a short, I have to tell you this, just a, a couple of weeks ago, and she had, you're not going to believe this, she had cold duty carrier and heat duty carrier. Yeah. So when her when the temperature was colder than her body temperature, she started to have wheels. And when it was warmer, she also started to have wheels. I've never seen I've never seen anything like it. I mean, heat urticaria is rare in our yeah. uh, 
pay. But that one person has both cold and heat urticaria. Oh, and I felt so sorry for her because, you know, if it got too warm, she had wheels. If it got too cold, she had wheels. She only had this very small corridor of temperatures that was okay for her. I thought you would find that interesting. I mean, it's very interesting because that's probably one of the keys, you know, the, the differential of the body temperature and the atmosphere or any contact com temperature is probably a key, but it's so difficult to investigate this. Yeah, I agree. And really, you need temp test or you need uh, objective measures and you, well, and also expertise like you, you know, this is not something that's easy to do in family practice, I think. Yeah. I find that cold urticaria also is very fascinating, you know, because maybe you you remember this, um, this paper by uh, in a 2016 uh, on vibratory uh, mm. urticaria. And in my mind, I just dream that maybe one day we can find specific receptors on mast cells or anything. And then maybe there's one for each type of, uh, of uh, inducible urticaria, or maybe uh, it can be shared, but I think the key is probably there. And I find we have we don't have enough experts in yeah. ex vivo experimentation about mast cells because it's so interesting to, to study mast cell dysfunction. And Absolutely. I'm so frustrated myself that I don't have that here. I don't know how to do it. And sometimes when I, I talk with biologists and uh, researchers, they say, oh, yeah, it's great. Uh, I have to search about the uh, MRG, uh, you know, uh, this receptor, nobody can pronounce it. And uh, I said, I'd like to, but how can we do this? And yeah. if I had money. That's yeah. what I would do. Time First. and money. You, know? you want to look in the skin with, after you put the ice cube on and see what is going yeah. on. Why exactly. are these mast cells being... <laughs> I can I can understand very well, um, and hopefully uh, we will together find a way to look at this and understand how mast cells get activated. Because right now, I mean, what do we do? We 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 stop the mast cell mediators with antihistamines. Maybe we stop mast cell activation, um, or we kill mast cells, and and all of this helps. You no, know? we have uh, good evidence that we can help patients with cold urticaria. But wouldn't it be nice to find a cure? No, to to make the disease stop once and for all. And of course, in order to do that, we need to understand why people get this. No? Yes. And we started with the um, chronic spontaneous urticaria, right? And sure. we we had great advances. It dramatically improved the patient's uh, yeah. health uh, quality of life. But um, we are trying to apply those models to the inducible urticaria and maybe maybe it's different and it's not the right way i don't know yeah. yeah but i think we're doing the right thing we're asking questions and even if we cannot answer them today putting them in the heads of many people and our fantastic urticariology community the uk network eventually we will get there and understand this disease so well that we can cure it that's my dream that's that yes i, I hope want so to too what I want to achieve. Um, uh, Aureli, uh, tell me a little bit about um, the way, no, the the path that a cold urticaria patient would see um, to the expert care that you can provide. 
can they come directly to you? How do they find you? Or are they referred to by their family doctors or by their um, by their by their internal medicine uh, doctors? How does it work in France? Uh, in France, it depends if you want to be reimbursed or not for okay. uh, for the path, because yeah. if you really follow the right way, you first have to see your uh, family uh, doctor, yours, okay. Okay. and not another one. For I give an example: if you're a tourist here and you have cold urticaria, so you don't have your own uh, general physician in Montpellier, yeah. you will pay if you go and see a dermatologist okay. and uh, even if you go and see a dermatologist uh, in hospital that's mm -hmm. that's the way okay. so um, but for people who live here and for those who have their general physician here usually they just call us or send us an email and they say uh, I don't know what this. Maybe it's allergy to cold, uh, allergy to water. Uh, I hear that all the time. Allergy to water, is it? And then we we schedule an appointment and we see them directly. Sometimes dermatologists are consulted before, but they rarely refer to us because, as I yeah. told you, they they have no time for this. They yeah. have all the skin cancers to to manage, and may, more and more allergists. Uh, are taking care of that because you know in France it's very recent but we have a new specialty before before that allergy was not a specialty Ooh. you have you had to be pneumologist yeah. uh, dermatologist uh, uh, ERT that's and then you you could become allergist but now you can be a, a full I should say a full cool. allergist yeah. from the start you know, so some uh, some of those students are already working uh, yeah. and then we, of course, they come into our department mm -hmm. and they have uh, they, they they can follow our consultation and all that. So many of those uh, past students mm -hmm. now they can send us directly patients when they suspect cold urticaria because they know we have temp test we are we are lucky we have a temp test yeah. so they know we can do proper diagnosis and um, and also we can um, prescribe appropriate treatment for their patients i was just going to ask that because uh, here in my country well i know this is the same in in, in france uh, of course we try antihistamines and we try more of it but often it doesn't work you know? um, mm. we can, we cannot protect cold urticaria patients really well with I agree. So, so we need better treatments. No, no question about it. And sometimes um, we can use omalizumab. But on the other hand, this is, and in my country, this is very important. This is a drug licensed for chronic spontaneous urticaria, not for cold urticaria. How does it work for you? How do you solve that? I, it's exactly the same for us. It's licensed only for spontaneous chronic urticaria. So when you want to use it for any inducible chronic urticaria, um, it's easier, of course, if you can prove that sometimes the urticaria can be spontaneous and then you can use it. But if it's not, and sometimes it's the case, yeah. if it's not, it's very it's very hard to, yeah. to prescribe because technically the patient should pay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fully. 
the the price of Omali Duma. Yeah. So it's quite tricky. So, uh, so from this point of view, it's actually um, quite fortunate that chronic spontaneous urticaria is a quite common comorbidity of yeah. urticaria, no? because that then makes it possible to use the drug. Uh, not for patients, of course, who likes to have uh, urticaria or who likes to have two urticarias, you know, that's uh, a nightmare. But mm. in any case, that opens up treatment. But is there anything else that uh, you go to maybe in also patients where you cannot use omalizumab or where it doesn't work? I mean, we also see patients where we try omalizumab and then it doesn't help. What's your favorite third oh. option? To be honest, I think omalizumab is a very good it option. Yeah. It is a very good option, but not always. And mm. probably it's, I find, but maybe it's only my experience, but it's maybe a little less effective than in spontaneous uh, chronic urticaria and chronic spontaneous urticaria. That's, that's why I said before, maybe we, we can't just apply what we know about spontaneous upon inducible urticaria because this is part of the the problem i think because yeah. sometimes it's really great omalizumab is really great people can go swimming can go back swimming and all that and they can some can go back to work because i we talked about going swimming and vacation and mediterranean yeah. but some people work here too you know yeah. and uh, we have a fisherman we have uh, lifeguards and all that and um, those people my my my, my last patient um, with cold uterkaria it was a very big problem for me because he was a lifeguard so he couldn't work anymore at all and uh, here it's um, some of the lifeguards here are military, you know, they are from the military sections. And um, the doctors of the military section said, no, it can't work anymore at all. So mm. I said, no, maybe one day Koldutakaya will heal and it could work again. And he said, no, it's over, it won't work never more. And the yeah. patient was so disappointed because this job was his patient, you know, yeah. and I yeah. feel so disappointed too for this guy. Yeah. But now his cold urticaria is over. It's really over. I made the test and he's, he's okay, but they don't, they won't let him go back to work. So yeah. that's yeah. a real, real problem. So yeah. I used omalizumab for him and probably maybe without omalizumab he would have healed too, yeah. at least. Um, but um, I think omalizumab is a very, very good option. And yeah. when I can't use it, well, I have been very disappointed with, um, I tried uh, doxycycline, you know, mm -hmm. because it had been, it had been published, yeah. but I was very disappointed with that. And, um, and also the Montelucast, mm -hmm. also very disappointed about that. So, I don't know. I'm waiting. I'm really yeah. waiting, and I'm waiting especially for the upcoming um, trial about uh, the tyro Bruton tyrosine kinase inhibitor. Yes. I, I have um, good hopes that uh, it will work, as it works in spontaneous urticaria too. Yeah. So that's part yeah. of the answer. That's a good thing. No, today we have many promising treatment options yes. under development. Yes. You know, there's remibrutinib um, mm. that you just referred to as a BTK inhibitor. There's another one, uh, real subrutinib. Yes. So 
Um, uh, and then there's Barzol Volimop, where we kill yes, the Yes, I, I want to try this one, but I, uh, yes, it's, I can't it, wait. It's amazing, Aureli, because we've treated 20 cold urticaria patients uh, with two different doses, and we have 20 complete responders. That's wonderful. It's really wonderful. And it's a um, long time response. I, I... It, it, it's a long time response. Um, um, eight weeks, 10 weeks, then the mast cells come back and the signs and symptoms come back. So That's you need to retreat, you know, but. Mm -hmm. uh, um, but it's yeah. great, though. Yeah. And silencing. I'm also uh, uh, quite excited about the new trials that are there now. Um, we've treated symptomatic demographism with lirentelimab mm -hmm. and also cholinergic urticaria and nice response. No, I'm, I, I'm looking forward to treating cold urticaria patients with lirentelimab. Yes. Um, hope we can do that soon. Oh, I'm looking at the time. Are really unbelievable? It uh, we're at the end already. No, we need to do this oh. again sometime. Um, but I'm not going to let you go without asking a question that I I often ask towards the end. And it has something to do with money, a lot of money. <laughs> if I came to you and I said a very generous supporter gave three million dollars or three million euros to urticaria research, but it has to be spent on cold urticaria. Ah. What would you spend that money on already? <laughs> well, I you told it was only for research, but if I could, mm. I would save some, a part of it, to to have patients um, around the world to get omalizumab first, mm. because many patients cannot afford it, and that's a shame. True. Uh, so a small part of it, maybe, for that. Okay. And uh, what is left, whatever is left, I would really love to do research about receptors on mast cells and to know, uh, you know, about the, the mass related G protein uh, receptors. I think we have some keys we have understood after we had omalizumab treatment. And yeah. now we have, it's a very exciting era, I think. And there are many things to do about these receptors. That's where I would spend my money. And that's a really good investment, Aurélie. I'll be looking for the money. You start planning your research. Okay, no then... problem. <laughs> See you tomorrow. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Folks, that's all the time we have today. Uh, with me was Aurélie from Montpellier. Merci beaucoup, Aurélie. Avec plaisir, Marcus. And if you are interested in urticaria and all things urticaria, then come and join us for the next episode airing soon. And if you haven't listened to all of the previous episodes, there's more than 60 by now, please do so. And let us know what you would like us to focus on in one of the upcoming episodes of all things urticaria. We listen to you and we will find experts who want to answer the questions that you have for us. So please uh, like us, support us, download us, recommend us on all the different platforms where all things Urticaria is available. Until our next episode, be well, stay well, bye bye.